everybody. Welcome to Equipped GC and we are doing a course on Supernatural and we are in week two. So if you are just jumping on, we are so so excited to have you and just give us a wave and say hello and let us know that you're there and um, pop a little uh, note in the comments. And um, so yeah, last week we covered the topic of angels and we had such a cool evening together. Um, Ray was uh, chatting through all of those nitty gritties of and uh, the angels and what do they look like and it was, it was a really fun evening and we uh, allowed for some questions at the end. So please feel free to, to pop in your questions throughout mm. the course of today and um, we'll, I'll be monitoring those through the course of the evening. So you can pop your question through any time and, and we'll address those at the end. There were also one or two questions from last week. So we are looking forward to hearing from you tonight um, and we'll try and answer some of those from last week as well. And uh, yeah, lovely to have you here, Julia, Ashun, Sharon, nice to have you with us. Um, we're just going to give one minute for people to jump on and um, just to let you know and remind you that we are recording these sessions and they will be made available on the website and then we will also have some written material available. So there was a question about scripture references from last week and uh, we will make those available and those will be made available towards the end of the course but you are welcome to go onto our website www glenridge.org.za forward slash equipped GC and register uh, for the material. So if you want to get the videos or if you want to get the written material, you're very welcome to pop onto the site. You can find the website details in the bio for the event page for the Supernatural series that we've been doing. And I'll also pop something up in the comments a bit later. So please feel free to head on over to those. And... Um, Welcome to those who've just jumped on. Remember, please put your questions in. Tonight, we are going to be tackling the very tricky and technical topic of demons. And um, yeah, we've just been chatting about that all the way in the car. The, the, I had lots of questions. I'm sure that you will have lots of questions. And yeah, this is a topic that's um, actually, there's a lot more to it than we understand, we realize. Mm -hmm. Not something we tend to talk about a whole lot. And these things are really important for us to understand from a biblical point of view. So I'm really excited. We are going to have a fun evening together. And um, yeah, I'm going to hand over to Ray, who is going to go through all of that with you. Um, anything else, Ray, from you? Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, I must tell you that that this, this evening's presentation has been really difficult to prepare for. Um, it's a vastly complex subject. Um, I've drawn, as I did on the last occasion, um, quite a lot from Michael Heiser's work. He's written a book on demons, um, and, and there's so much in there to, to digest and to process. Um, I'm not in complete agreement with everything that he says, more than likely because of the yawning chasm between his scholarship on the one side and the absolute absence of any scholarship on mine. <laughs> uh, but. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of material there to think about. Um, we're going to be focusing tonight on, on what the scriptures actually say about demons and what the scriptures, scriptures actually say about Satan. I'm going to, I've divided it into two major portions, what the Old Testament says and what the New Testament says. Um, in Heiser's book, he does a lot of work on some extra-biblical sources which inform the perspectives of the authors of both the New and Old Testaments. Um, I'm not going to look at that in any detail tonight. We simply don't have the time or the space um, or the capacity, frankly, to, to deal with it. It's, it's really some, some amazing, interesting stuff. But I'm going to be focusing on, on a series of scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm going to look first at the figure of Satan as depicted in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to look at some other supernatural beings in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the New Testament treatment of Satan, of supernatural beings and of the demons. And we're going to draw some conclusions. I'm going to look at a few frequently asked questions at the end. And then I'm hoping in faith 
that by then uh, we'll have some questions from you. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to let Ray kick off and uh, remember to pop your questions in the comments below and uh, fire away and we will take those questions at the end. Enjoy. Go for it, Ray. Great, thank you. So in Genesis chapter 3, we have our, our first introduction to, to Satan. Although Satan isn't expressly mentioned, his name isn't mentioned, and I'm going, to, I'm going to consider the implications of that very briefly. This is where we pick it up, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. A couple of points about that. First of all, Satan isn't referenced. The, the reference is to the serpent. When we hear the serpent, we immediately think of a snake. But this isn't just a talking snake. This is a supernatural being um, who is inhabiting the space on earth that God inhabits. You'll remember perhaps from last week that we spoke of the seraphim or the seraph, which is um, a snake image sometimes depicted in, in ancient um, source documents as having wings. So this, is, this isn't a, a snake that slithered up to Eve and started having a chat. This is a supernatural being. Um, the word used in Hebrew is nahash, uh, which sounds a little bit like a hiss from a snake, nahash. And that's not coincidental. Um, it means fiery. It can mean bronze. It has... Um, built into it the idea of a shimmering light. And you'll remember that, that in our descriptions of the sons of God on, on last week's discussion, um, I mentioned, I think, that, that the, the sons of God, or the supernatural beings created by God, who are also referred to as Elohim, or gods, um, were, were bright and shining. And that, that's a description which we'll see applies to to Satan elsewhere in, in the scriptures as well. So we have um, the supernatural being, Satan, saying to, to Eve, if you eat the, true, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, not good and evil, good and bad, um, you will be like Elohim. Now Heiser makes the point that whilst most translations translate that as you will be like God, the, uh, an alternate translation and, and perhaps a more accurate one would be, you would be like Elohim. You would be like the other supernatural beings. You would be like the, the heavenly council, knowing the difference between good and bad. So, so in effect, Satan was saying, if you eat the, the fruit of this, this tree, you'll be like one of us. Because Satan, or, or in this instance, Nahash, the Nahash, um, was was one of the Elohim, one of the supernatural beings that God had created. So we know the story, um, uh, Adam and Eve fall, and God pronounces judgment over Adam and Eve, but he also pronounces judgment over the serpent, and this is what that sounds like in chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, so Yahweh um, Elohim said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all feasts of the, beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Just a few comments on that. The first is, um, this is not talking to a snake. Snakes don't eat dust. I keep snakes. Snakes eat rodents and other creatures. Um, dust is what Adam and Eve were made from. This is, this is God pronouncing 
that, that Satan will pursue the sons of, of Adam and Eve um, into the future. And, and then says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. That, that offspring of Eve is singular because we pick it up. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's actually a reference to Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the offspring of, of woman. And um, he, Jesus, will overcome Satan, will bruise his head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is a prefiguring of what would happen on the cross. I don't really have time to expand on that. It's such an interesting subject, but, but I'm going to leave it there. So for present purposes, we have the idea of, of Satan being introduced in the garden, the serpent, the supernatural being, and we're going to see from, from another two texts I'm going to look at that actually he, he was created um, as one of the supernatural beings in the heavenly council, potentially, who had um, great potential for good. And because of his own selfish desires and desire to be above God, um, turned to, to great evil. Let me, let me pick up one or two texts on that. The first is in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19. And I'm going to rush through these just because we've got so much material to cover tonight. Um, but, but perhaps we can revisit it at, at a later stage in more detail. Before I read this text, I'd like to just mention that frequently texts, especially apocalyptic texts or, or texts that have um, rich apocalyptic images can apply to an individual in history, a, a person, a man, but, but has a second layer to it. So that's called, in theology, that's called Hebrew parallelism. It's very common. It's found throughout scriptures. It's almost like putting um, two transparencies for those from a previous age, uh, two transparencies, one on top of the other. So, so there are layers of meaning to it. So whilst this text is definitely addressing an individual, a human being in history, there's a point at which it suddenly lifts and starts addressing a being who can't be a human for reasons that we will soon see. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, the real king of Tyre couldn't have been in Eden because this was many hundreds of years later. So this is a reference to Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed garden cherub, not a little fat guy, but a supernatural um, throne attendant. I placed you, you are on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created. So we see this, this scriptural reference to Satan as, as a supernatural being of incredible brilliance, of, of really supernatural beauty. It goes on to say, Till unrighteousness was found in you, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O garden, guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. Isn't that interesting? You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. The word there translated as ground is a rest. It means ground or soil or earth, but it can also mean the underworld. Um, I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the people were appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So that's a text that refers to simultaneously the king of Tyre, 
but but at a at a much more uh, profound level, at a deeper level, also refers to Satan. Similarly, in Isaiah, we find uh, a text that starts with a human being, um, with and and with the the principality of Babylon, and then kicks into a different gear and starts talking about Satan. Israel, um, sorry, when the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So that's the human. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the people in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole rest, earth, is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes against us. And, and here's where we see the, the gear change. Sheol ben, ben, beneath, or the place of the dead, Hades, Sheol, is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. The shades are, are the are said to be the spirits of departed warrior kings. Um, it rouses the shades to greet you, all who are leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who are kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, you have become weak as we. You have become like us. Your pump has brought down to Sheol uh, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How are you fallen from heaven? Now we can see we're not talking about a human being. This can't be the, the, the actual king of Babylon. This is Satan. O day star, son of dawn. Remember, um, the, the Elohim are depicted as stars, as supernatural lights in the firmament of heaven. How are you cut down to the ground or to a retz? You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, the other Elohim. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the furthest reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert, and hold that thought about deserts, we're going to come back to that, and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast away, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined by them in burial, because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. So, so that's a, a picture of, of Satan, where he's come from and where he's heading. So there are actually not many references in the Bible, in the Old Testament rather, to Satan. Um, one of them appears to be in Job. Job is actually a very old text. It predates Genesis in its, in its authorship. And it says this in Job uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, remember the Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also among them. So Satan is among the sons of God. Um, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does, God, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face." And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Heiser points out that although Satan has been translated here as a proper name with a capital letter S, 
the argument is that in the context of, of the Satan's appearance among the sons of God, that he was walking to and fro uh, upon the earth as a member of the council of God to see what was to be seen. And he brings a report about Job. And, and God says to, to the Satan, the opposer, um, have you considered my servant? And, and the Satan adopts the position of um, almost like a devil's advocate who, 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 who takes a contrary position to God's position to test whether it's true. And the argument is that this is perhaps not the serpent from Eden. This is perhaps a, a member of the council of God because, because in, the, in the Eden context, Satan is, is, is cursed and, and cast to the earth, to Eretz. Um, so, so it's unlikely that he would appear in the council of God, before God, in the assembly. It's simply improbable. Um, look, it, it may be that this, is a, that this is that Satan, but certainly it would appear on the face of it, that this is, this is a supernatural being in the council of God who is, is testing what God has to say about Job. And why that may be significant is because it deals with why um, Job seems to be a competition between God and Satan. Um, and, and that doesn't make sense because, because Satan could never win that. But if we understand it as the Satan or the supernatural being who who takes up a position contrary to God, or opposes God, then, then that um, whole scene makes a lot more sense. Also consider when, uh, when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer, and, and, and Jesus says, well, my father's revealed this to you. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed it to you. And then he talks about his crucifixion, and Peter immediately opposes him, takes a contrary view and says, Far be it from you. This, this will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, opposer. He's not saying that, that Peter is, is literally Satan, the supernatural being who is the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's saying that, that, that Peter has adopted a position contrary to the mind of God. He is the opposer in that moment. So... So those are just some interesting points on Satan in the Old Testament. What about other supernatural agents of darkness in the Old Testament? Um, Old Testament theology, quoting from Heiser, puts forth the idea that gods of the nations were assigned to them by Yahweh. That is, um, Israel is forbidden from worshipping these gods who are put over the other nations, the Gentile nations, because Yahweh is um, Israel's allotted inheritance. Or rather, Israel is Yahweh's allotted inheritance. Um, I'm going to pick it up from Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 19 to 20. Listen to this. And do this so that you do not, this is talking to Israel, do this so that you do not lift your eyes towards the heaven and observe the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven and be led astray and bow down to them and serve them. Listen, listen to this point. Things that Yahweh, your God, has allotted to all of the peoples under all of heaven. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out from the furnace of iron, from Egypt, to be a people of inheritance to him, as it is this day. Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 8 to 9, continues. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So, so this text describes how, um, how God's inheritance is the people of Israel, but that God assigned the sons of God, the, the lowercase s sons of God, not Jesus, the sons of God, the Elohim, um, to rule over other nations. Um, I'm, I really don't have the time or space now to deal with that in any detail. Unfortunately, I need to move on to the New Testament. But just one, um, 
one comment on the Old Testament before we move on, and I was asked about this last week, is the Nephilim. What is the Nephilim? Well, in Genesis chapter 6, we see that, that the sons of God, the Elohim, um, saw that the women um, were very beautiful, and they took them as their wives, any they chose, and, and they um, had sexual intercourse with them. And as a consequence, um, the, the, the product of the, the sexual union between the sons of God and, and earthly woman was the Nephilim, which is also can be translated as giants. Um, and they became the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And you'll see, if you trace the history of Israel, that a lot of it is a history of, of war against the Nephilim and the children of the Nephilim. So that's an, an answer to a question we were asked last week. What about the Nephilim? Well, the Nephilim were the ungodly product of sexual um, congress between the sons of God, or the Elohim, and, and the woman of earth. I'm now going to continue with Satan in the New Testament. Um, I'm going to rush through some of these texts and then pick up some discussion points a little bit later. The first is, is Satan appearing to Jesus. Uh, Satan in the New Testament is a proper noun. Um, that's his name. That's the name that's given to him. Um, he's also referred to as the devil or diabolos. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all of these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you will serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. A few points about that. First of all, this took place immediately after Jesus was assigned, um, was described as the Son of God after his baptism, um, the Father declares his delight in him. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. And the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness or into the desert. And the desert, you'll, you'll find throughout the Old Testament, is the place which is associated with demons and, and with, um, with spiritual forces of wickedness and with Satan himself. So, so he goes out into the desert and, and one of the things that Satan says, there's several, but one of the things that Satan says is, have a look at all of the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you worship me. Jesus doesn't say to Satan, they're not yours to give. Because those kingdoms were under the, the power of principalities, authorities, and rulers, assigned to rule by God, the, the sons of God, who have, have departed from the ways of God and given themselves over to wickedness. And Satan is their leader. So um, it's for this reason that Jesus replies, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve, because all of those other powers are subordinate to God anyway. Um, I was going to deal with Revelation chapter 12. I might... I might come back to that in the question and answer section. Um, let me now deal with demons in the New Testament. As Hauser points out, Peter and Jude, the books of Peter and Jude, put forth the idea in, in very clear terms about demons. Um, Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says that God did not spare the angel that sinned, the angels that sinned, but instead cast them into hell or Tartarus committing them to chains of gloomy darkness until the eschatological judgment or the judgment at the end of the age. Jude 6 describes those angels in very similar terms. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling were imprisoned in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. Um, these fallen divine beings are cast into the abyss which is associated with demonic activity. So, so we have the idea that, that these, these supernatural beings have committed acts of wickedness and are cast down to the earth or to, to arrests to, to the underworld, to places of darkness. And 
um, that there is coming a time of judgment. We pick that up in Matthew chapter 8, verses 29. This is where Jesus is speaking to somebody who, who has a demon or many demons, and the demons cry out to Jesus and say, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? And it's very interesting that the demons know who Jesus is. They recognize him as the, the Son of God. And, and they say, have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, they recognize that there is a time where, where they're no longer going to have access to people, to humans to torment, and that they themselves will be tormented in judgment. Um, what then of the rulers and principalities and powers? We'll pick that up from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. This is Paul writing, and he writes, Yet among the mature we impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or, and this is relevant for us, the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now that's really important. We're sometimes asked, or I've sometimes been asked, well, why is this stuff so complicated? If you read the Old Testament, why doesn't the Bible just say, well, Jesus is going to come and he's going to be crucified and, and all of these things will, will, will happen? Why is it hidden? Why is it that we can only see those things in retrospect when we look back? Well, the answer is here. Those things were hidden because if they weren't hidden, if they weren't difficult to see except in retrospect, Satan and his angels would never have participated in the crucifixion of Jesus because it was the act of crucifixion that spelled out their ultimate demise and the promise of their destruction. Um, we see that again in Ephesians 6 verse 12. Um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual wickedness, uh, forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So just to be clear, there, there are layers to heaven. There are um, Jesus, or rather Satan is described, definitely not Jesus, Satan is described as the prince of the powers of the air, what is the air? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the supernatural realm below the heaven which God occupies. So that's why um, reference is made repeatedly by Paul, who has a very highly developed theology on this, that um, Satan is the prince of the powers of the air. You, you see references to um, rulers of this age. It's, it's all a reference to the supernatural realm, which is not where God is enthroned, but is below that. Um, in Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 24, we see this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Um, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he, that's Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, and every authority, and every power. That's not a reference to governments. That's a reference to supernatural authorities, rulers, and powers. Um, it, it, we see this again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. Um, sorry, from verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, this is Peter speaking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, listen to this, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the death and resurrection of Jesus places Jesus above all authorities, principalities, powers, and dominions. So that's been uh, a wild ride <laughs> through the texts that, that deal with, with Satan, with demons, with supernatural powers, principalities, and authorities. There are many more. Um, I really wanted to limit this to, to a fairly short exposition. Um, I'm going to deal with three questions, four questions, and then perhaps Kathy can join me and, and we'll look at some of your questions as well. The first is, does Satan have horns and a tail? No. Um, that seems to be um, an association of Pan, which is a Greek mythological picture. Um, nowhere in the Bible is, is Satan described as having horns and a tail. In fact, as we've seen, Satan is described as being unspeakably beautiful. Um, the, the only creature he seems to represent um, in at, one, at least one appearance is, is the serpent, the Nahash. Um, can Satan and demons read our minds? No. Uh, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, that's, that's an important question and quite a difficult one to answer. It's more difficult than you'd imagine. The first is that, that we can recognize from Scripture that demons can take up residence in human hosts. We see that because Jesus drives out demons all over the place, and we typically in Christian parlance refer to that as being demon-possessed. But, but the original Greek doesn't actually carry that idea. It, it carries the idea of being demonized, not possessed. Possession carries with it the concept of ownership. So, so in fact, it's, it's the other way around. You, you'll see references to people having a demon, not the demon having them, but them having a demon. So, so whilst there's certainly the idea, and we see it repeated in the New Testament and especially in the Gospels, that people can have demons resident in them, which, which Jesus and believers drive out, and, and they can come back um, and take up residence, someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe, cannot be uh, occupied by a demon. They can be bugged and bothered by demons, absolutely. And, and Paul makes several references to, to Christians who, who fall away and are seduced by doctrines of demons or become influenced or under the influence of demons. So that's possible. Um, but but they, Christians can't be owned by demons because Christians are owned by God. Uh, I hope that clarifies that. Um, then... Um, Are, are demons fall, fallen angels? Uh, are, are demons um, fallen angels who are a third of the angels are with, with Satan and, and two-thirds with God? That's, that's not entirely accurate. And, and where I think that comes from, and Heiser comments on this in his book, is from a text in Revelation that says, um, I'm not going to deal with the whole thing. I'll just pick out one or two elements of it. Um, it speaks of, of Satan as a great dragon um, and, and that this great dragon um, attacks, attacks the woman. So I'm going to read through the picture, the image, and then we're going to explain what it means. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So, so that could mean took him the, the dragon took those, those um, stars or supernatural beings down with him to join him, but the image here is, is an image of, of battle. So it's, there's an argument that it's more likely that the, the, um, the dragon prevailed 
and that these were good um, supernatural beings who were taken out in battle. It could, be, it could be argued either way, but that certainly is a representation. But remember that this is an image. And look at when the image takes place. It's at the point where the woman gives birth. So if we understand the woman to be Israel, metaphorically or physically, Mary, giving birth to, birth to Jesus, this fall takes place um, not before um, the, the Eden event, but at the time of Jesus' birth. So that's really important because there is a prevailing thought um, in the church, it's, it's very common, that Satan took a third of the angels at the time of the fall in Eden. That's apparently not true or accurate because this depiction, and remain, remember it's a metaphorical picture, it's an image, is, is of Satan uh, taking a third of, of the stars of heaven, which we can assume is, is not physical stars, but rather angelic beings or supernatural beings. At the time of the um, woman giving birth, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, which is clearly a reference to Jesus. But her child was caught up to God at his throne, which speaks of Jesus' death and resurrection, or rather his re resurrection, not his death. And the woman fled to the wilderness, where she has a place prepared for uh, by God, um, and she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that, no longer, uh, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Um, and, and then it continues. So, so certainly that's an image. It's an eschatological image. It's, a, it's an apocryphal image. Um, it's layered. There are, are many different ways to interpret it. But certainly one thing we can say for certain is it's not a depiction of anything happening at the time of the fall in Eden. So those are the questions that, that I wanted to deal with. Kathy's going to come and, and give us a few more. And I'm sorry that's been really quick, but I had a lot of material to cover. And there's lots more that we haven't covered, let me tell you. Goodness. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> cool. So um, thank you for your questions. Please, if you have any more questions, keep popping them in the comments. Um, but uh, the first one is from Hilton. And he wants to know, what does the Bible say about demons in relation to difficulty and struggles experienced by Christians? And at what point is it a demonic oppression or attack? And he was thinking specifically in terms of sickness specifically, but yes. Okay. So um, there are many instances in the gospel where we see that, that Jesus um, heals sickness and associated with demonic oppression or possession or occupation, being demonized. But there are other instances in the Gospels where, where healing takes place and it's not necessarily associated with uh, demonic oppression. So, so both exist. And I think similarly, there are trials that we face as Christians which are not demonic in origin, but there are others which are demonic in origin. Um, Satan is, uh, sorry, Paul refers to uh, a messenger of Satan bugging him or oppressing him and, and that that was permitted lest he, he fall into pride. So, so there's, there's certainly some challenges that we experience that are um, as a consequence of demonic activity and, and, and Satan trying to distract us or to draw us away from God or to defeat us. That's true. We are locked in war. That is absolutely the image of the church throughout um, the New Testament. Um, we are, are, are caught up in a battle. It's a battle that's already won, but we're doing the mopping up operations. Um, but there are, are certainly also other challenges um, that we face that are simply part of, of living in a fallen world. Yeah, really good. 
Right, next question is from Moraig, and she's asking if if there is the Satan, then is there an actual Satan or the devil? Yes. So in the New Testament, um, there seems to have been a development of thought, theology, and tradition um, between the the authorship of of uh, Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, and Genesis, which is written by Moses, or at least um, scribed, dictated by, by Moses, potentially written by others, um, of, of a supernatural being, the chief of the, of the agents of darkness, of, of demons, um, the Satan, who is given the name Satan as a proper name. And he is opposer, he is the slanderer, he is the one who accuses um, the believers. So absolutely, yes. Okay. <coughs> okay, this is a good question. Um, if Satan, this is from Rebecca, if Satan cannot read our minds and thoughts, how does he attack our minds with lies, temptations, doubt, etc.? Very good question. I think that we need to distinguish between external um, influences and internal influences. So, so certainly, um, th there are many expressions of, of Satan's thoughts and intents through people, media, um, even, even sometimes you can feel a demonic presence. You, you know it's there. Um, but, and, and we're influenced by those things. Those are all external influences. Um, the, the, the greater challenge we have, and sometimes I think we ascribe this to Satan or to demonic influence, and actually it's just our own minds, is <coughs> our carnal selves, our, our fleshly thoughts, our, our minds that Paul says are set against God, um, influences us negatively, and we constantly have to side or gang up with the Holy Spirit against ourselves in that respect. Yeah. So I think sometimes we give Satan too much credit. <laughs> we absolutely can. Um, are there, if there are any other questions about um, this particular topic, you can pop them in. Um, I, think, I think that when it comes to this, this topic, it's so good for us to, uh, to really explore the scriptures and understand this stuff so that then when we are in a season of difficulty, then we know what the word says and we can begin to fight with our weapon, which is the sword of the spirit and mm. it's the word of God and, and the truth. Um, so, so it's really, really important. The other thing is, um, and I'm not sure whether uh, you mentioned it earlier, but that Satan's not an equal opposite to God. No, absolutely um, not. And that, that's really, really important for us as believers to just remind ourselves that actually um, that his power is, is so tiny in comparison. And while he does um, exert influence and there are demonic powers that exert influence, they by no means are a match for the God that we yeah. serve. And so um, there's nothing for us to really, in that sense, be afraid of, um, that we press into to God. And when he is fighting on our behalf, that is, that is a battle that's won. Um, as we partner with him. So, yeah. so on, on that point, there is only one creator, Yahweh, God with a capital letter G. Satan can't create anything. The best he can do is corrupt that which is good. Yeah. That's the best he can do. And he does it exceptionally well. I mean, you think of pornography, that's a corruption of something beautiful that God created. Um, think of... of um, of idolatry, that's that's where um, things were, that were created for good and for pleasure, uh, which is comes from God at, at God's right hand is pleasure forever, um, which has occupied a position that only God should fill. Satan can't do any more than take that which is good and make it corrupt. Yeah. And 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 really, if if you weigh those things in the balance. It's so much easier to break something down than to create it. I mean, there's none among us who could create a flower. We can't do it. But we can all crush a flower. Yeah. And, and so it is with Satan. Satan is not capable of, of creative anything. 
um, he, he is destructive and corrupts and warps that which God has created. And one of the things of the age to come, in, in the age which we participate now in part, the glory of the age to come, the Zoe life that we, we partake in now, but there will come a time where there will be no corrupt thing and no corrupt influence and only the goodness that God has created. Good. Okay, so Justin's asking, what is your theology on Satan asking to thresh Peter? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. So um, I think that that's a great example of how Satan's powers are limited by God. Because um, Peter was owned by God, belonged to God, but had turned his heart away from the purposes of God in his fallenness, he was potentially exposed to um, access by Satan. But even that access was limited by God. So, so Jesus intervenes on our behalf, um, and, and, and I think that that's why, why the, part of the, the disciples' prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer because Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, is because Satan wants to have at us, but, but God preserves us and keeps us safe. And, um, and so Jesus intervened with Peter yeah. and, and not only intervened, but, but knew that his purposes would be fulfilled in Peter. So he says to Peter, when you have turned, because you're going to fall, you're going to deny me. When you've returned, um, you're not only going to serve me, but you're going to feed my flock and you're going to, you're going to look after those that I've assigned to you. So, mm-hmm. so there's always a purpose beyond the fall. And I think what's so beautiful about that is the power of prayer. And Jesus says that I prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. And yeah. um, it's such an incredible reminder to us as well to keep praying and trust in God to move on our behalf. Um, this one from TK is, do we bad or cast demons? Cast out demons? No, we cast them out, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just talking foot sack. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, we don't have to put up with that. No. Stan makes a great point. Um, perhaps demons can observe our behavior um, and yeah. weaknesses. They've been around a long time, and it's, it may seem that they're reading our minds. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, if, if, if we were to hang around for a couple of thousand years and observe humans, um, we would, we would see that, that humans fall into the same thing time and time again. There's nothing new, nothing new under, under the sun. Um, yeah. I remember driving past a pawn shop in, in Ridge Road um, called Adult World. And, and the T in, in, the, in the neon sign had, had gone dark. It, it wasn't working. So it said Adult World. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's because sin is simply a repetition of the same thing over and over and over again. And you have to be exposed to more and more and more of it to get the same high. So, so actually a world where sin reigns is a dull world. Um, and I thought that that was such a great picture of, of the counterfeit of sin. And I think that, that Satan gives us the same thing over and over and over and over again because it works. Like, like a tried and tested recipe yeah, for success. Um, so so um, a, a beautiful woman or a really handsome guy walks past and and uh, ungodly thoughts arise, which come from us, by the way. The Bible mm. says that we're drawn out and tusks by the lust of our own flesh. Mm. It's not Satan. Um, but Satan can certainly make use of that and and draw us away. And, dangle and a carrot. Dangle a carrot, yeah. 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 Um, or the peach. Um, so Justin's asking ideas on what Paul's thorn in his flesh was. There, there are a range of theories about it. Most uh, scholars say that it was a physical affliction of some kind that Paul couldn't get healing from. Mm. Um, but uh, he described it as a messenger from Satan to Buffeton, is the King James Version. Um, I'm not sure. Mm. But it's something he just couldn't get victory in. And he, he goes to God three times and says, hey, why don't I get victory in this? 
He said, no, 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 this, this one, this one I'm leaving, leaving there. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's a, a demon that hangs on to Paul. Yeah. But I, I think it's some kind of affliction. Yeah, and I think um, Paul, you know, he's, he's going and he's preaching the gospel and there will be opposition. So that, that opposition could have looked in multiple ways. Um, so the thorn in the flesh, it's never really, like you say, described. But, um, you know, Satan uh, goes around like a, a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. So he's always trying to stop the work of God. Um, so... Um, can demons be extinguished? This is William, or do they just move to another when cast out? Uh, they're not extinguished; they're eternal beings, um, but they will ultimately face destruction in the judgment. So uh, Jesus describes how, um, when a demon is driven out, he leaves the host clean and tidy, and then he wanders around. and And if the host doesn't fill that vacuum with the Holy Spirit is the implication. Um, then he brings seven of his mates who are worse than him and takes up residence again. So, so clearly, demons are not destroyed by us. Um, but they will face uh, destruction ultimately in the judgment of God. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question, and that's something I'd like for ask you to address, is um, when we are faced with demonic activity, what is our response? As okay. Christians. So, um, I think that we must take our cue from Jesus. Um, Jesus told them to get out. Yeah. Um, my, however, having said that, we're also not God. So, Jesus is occasionally seen to almost have conversations with them. I don't think that's a good idea at all. That's not our job. We tell them to get out and move on. And we pray uh, for healing. Um, you'll see that there's several res- references in the, in the gospel to Jesus healing people who were um, demonized. Yeah. So, so what, what we need to do is, as Christians is be empathetic. The person's not the problem. The demon's the problem. We, we cast the demon out. And we pray for the per- person mm. and, and show the abiding love and grace and kindness of God to the one who was demonized, yeah. um, which is an oppression from Satan. That's not, never God's plan. Yeah. And, you know, something I'm going to touch on next week, but the power that we've been given by the Spirit of God is, is, is authority, that we've been yeah. given the authority to, to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And in Mark 10, we're given that instruction. Jesus says to his disciples, go out and, and heal the sick, cast out demons, so we have that authority, and we can stand in the position that we have in Christ, who has authority over all things. So um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted you to address that question. Um, so Tori's asking, would you cast a demon out of someone who doesn't believe in Jesus? Hey, if somebody wants to be delivered of a demon, absolutely. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, for me, that's about getting... Going after a person's freedom, yeah. and um, I, I remember so distinctly watching a video once, and everything you could just see this person was just being so oppressed. They weren't a believer in Jesus, and and I just felt like you know I just want to be able to go and pray for that person, and just so that they can find freedom, and that when yeah. uh, it's not about us um, wielding power but just that we really want to see people come into the freedom that is in Jesus, that when they are set free, they don't have to be under that kind of bondage anymore. They don't have to be afflicted by things that would plague them. Um, so yeah. I think uh, as believers, that should be the thing we're after all the time. And if it's, if it's somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, that might be the thing that just sets them free so that they can hear his voice, so that they can see him for the first yeah. time. So, yeah, exactly it's a great right. question, Tori. Um, uh, I think there's all the questions for this one. Um, so, if there aren't any more questions about that, I think we've got one or two minutes. If you want to address the angels one, do you want to leave that one for next time? No, I'm happy to answer that question. Okay, cool. Uh, one more question. 
Can demons attach themselves to particular places or objects, or is that confined to fiction? That's from Zoe. Yeah, so I... <laughs> I, I think that there can be an association of, of demons with spaces, places. I've walked into places and felt demonic oppression. Um, I, I experienced that profoundly in a, in a pyramid in Egypt. Um, it, was, it was real. Um, but people also get totally stupid about this. I've, I've, I've seen people say, oh, no, I don't want to have this piece of furniture in my house because what if the person who made it was a Satanist? And getting into all kinds of fear and bondage about that. And, and we, we, we don't have to give into that at all. Light displaces darkness. Light displaces darkness. Yeah. It's not the other way around. Yeah. We carry light. Um, so I don't think that we should get into a twist about that. I do think that um, that you can have uh, cursed objects, I suppose, because there, there certainly seem to be things that are devoted to yeah. to gods or to, to, to idols. Um, Paul speaks of that, um, but I don't think those have power in themselves, mm. um, and and light displaces darkness. Good, cool. All right. Um, there were one or two questions from last week about the angels, so we're going to just quickly touch on those. Um, Helen's had a question about whether or not we can release angels to specific tasks that align with the scriptural promises over us, uh, prophetic words. Um, what are your thoughts on in relation to that? Okay. Again, I can't find any scripture that has a human commanding or releasing an angel to do anything. Um, and, and I'd be cautious of that. I think it's presumptuous in my mind. Um, that's my own conviction. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. But, but if there are promises that God has given us, and especially scriptures that line up with those promises, then we can pray for God's purposes to be accomplished, and he may well send his angels um, to bring those things to be. Uh, I don't think we release them, and I don't think we command them. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's come back to... A question on the demonic. Um, how does one see if one is oppressed by a demon? Um, uh, okay, I'm not quite following that, but how does one see if you're oppressed by a demon? I, I don't know, but if you're feeling that you could be oppressed by somebody, by, by a demon rather, um, go for prayer. Yeah. Just go for prayer. Mm. Um, go to a fellow believer. Go to an elder, go to a deacon, go to somebody you can trust who, who walks in authority, full of the spirit. Just go for prayer. Yeah. Light displaces darkness. Yeah. Yeah, and in this season, you know, when you might not be able to actually physically get to a person, you can, you know, just pick up your phone, um, yeah. send a message, say, uh, I need prayer, um, get someone praying for you over the phone, and uh, sending you text or maybe a voice note or something like that so that that you're not facing that by yourself. And, um, you know, you can always put a message through the office as well and, uh, to ask for prayer. Um, you're very welcome to do that as well. So don't be uh, on your own in that. Um, Greg is asking, what do you make of demons that only go by prayer and fasting? Ah, um, yeah. That's a good one. So, so it's, it's apparent that there, are, there is a hierarchy of supernatural beings, and that applies not only to angels but also to demons. And... And Jesus gets annoyed with his disciples when they're unable to drive out a particular demon, and he, he just drives it out. And they say to him, well, why couldn't we drive it out? And he says, this, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. And what's immediately apparent is that Jesus prayed, but it's not like he had an opportunity to fast. It was a matter of minutes. So, so what has happened there is Jesus is saying, I have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting that has deepened my authority, and it's time spent with God, that has deepened my authority so that, that when I pray, the demon's got to go. Bear in mind that 
that Jesus also said that it was better for his disciples that he left so that the Father could send the Holy Spirit um, to, to help. And I think that um, part of the reason that it was better for the disciples to have Jesus physically absent and the Holy Spirit manifestly present was because the things that Jesus could accomplish because he was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit um, become available to us as believers, not by our own might, not by our own strength, not by our own cleverness or piety, but because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus could do and greater. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Um, so we'll have one more of the questions from last week as well. Do you know if there are angelic beings in other religions or cultures? And I suppose the same would be true about um, demons. Yeah. So, so there are. Um, I know in, in Islam uh, there are demons called jinns. Um, there are supernatural beings in, in many religions. Um, it, it's difficult to answer directly whether they, they are angels or demons because angels and demons are a functional term. An angel is a messenger, someone who carries a message from God. Um, a, a demon is a supernatural being that has um, gone over to the dark side, if you will. So, so certainly in, in many cultures, there are supernatural beings that are good and supernatural beings that are bad. Mm. So if, if, that's, if that's the measure, then absolutely yes. Yeah, and I think there's certainly a, a massive awareness in many cultures of the supernatural in general. So um, it's, it wouldn't be surprising to find uh, literature about it, um, you know, stories passed down, um, active uh, things that people already teach. Um, and I think for us in the West, actually, a lot of this, a lot of the supernatural seems like an anathema, um, because you know we're so reliant on what we can see and what's in front of us. Um, and so I think uh, it's it's so good for us to be pressing in to find out more um, and and become familiar with our own uh, understandings of what these things are. Um, just. I, th I think you touched on it earlier, but just in Hebraic culture, there had been so much that they understood because mm. of the context of the day that I think we kind of gloss over because we just we just don't have a, a frame of reference that's been properly built up, um, which is why we've got to dig into the scriptures. So, yeah. Any other comments, Ray? Good. No, I think that's okay, it. Okay, cool, guys. I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, Please feel free to keep putting questions up if you want. We will continue to kind of check it through the week and um, answer whatever we, uh, questions we can. We'll make a note of them for next time. And a reminder, if you want to register on the website to find out more about uh, future courses and to get material from this course, it's www.glenridge.org.za forward slash equipgc. So hop onto that. And thank you so much for spending time with us this evening. It's been awesome to be with you. Yeah, the, the one thing I must say is um, we're not actually experts on this. <laughs> and, and in preparing, especially for tonight, more than angels, um, I realized just how little I know about this stuff. Yeah. So we're really on a journey of discovery. And, and it's great to have you along for the journey. Um, we will be, I am busy preparing written materials. I've, I've almost finished the angels one I'm preparing on, on the demons. And in time, I'll put that up as time allows. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for being with us this evening. Have a good evening further, everyone. Bye.